I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. Welcome back. How are you, Gary Jr.? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good. Well, NBA playoffs. You know, last time we spoke to our audience, we were looking at the final few games of the NBA season. Now we've gone through that first, well, we've gone through that play-in round, which I don't like. And then we went through the first round. And the first round was, you know, Gary, you can make some comments, but rather predictable. In other words, the team that teams that were in the top four for the East, the Heat, Celtics, Bucks, 76ers, and the team that were in the top four at the end of the regular season in the West, Phoenix, Memphis Grizzlies, Golden State Warriors, Dallas Mavs. Well, guess what? They're all still playing basketball as we speak today. So the regular season seems to be a mirror of the postseason, at least at this juncture, Gary. So now we have the final eight teams that are playing for an East, for and a West, uh, to get down to the championship round, which is, uh, I think we'll start around January 2nd. I'm sorry, June 2nd. So what do you think, Gary? Any opening comments about the NBA season and or the first round of the playoffs? Well, let's just focus on the NBA first round of the playoffs. The games itself, I know that we're going to talk about the, uh, the other things that goes on, which I don't like at all, and I know you won't like it either. But, you know, the first round of the playoffs, you know, as you mentioned, kind of went the you know the way we thought it was going to go, except for Brooklyn and Boston. We didn't expect the Brooklyn Nets to get swept. I think, <laughs> I think some of that occurred because of things that uh, happened on the floor when it came to how they officiated games. But like I said, we'll talk about that. Later, but the Boston Celtics played well. They were motivated to win that series. They were very, very focused. A lot of them were, especially Jason Tatum. And the Brooklyn Nets have a lot of uh, issues with their roster that they will have to fix. In fact, I didn't realize that the Brooklyn Nets didn't even have a guy who played small forward on their team besides Kevin Durant because they mm. cut James Johnson and Joe Harris was hurt because they didn't have anyone who was six seven. Oh, that's right. Six, on the yep. court. You're right. Here, so forgot about him. <laughs> and, Right, right. And the NBA, especially nowadays, you know, we always talk about it. We do our top five for positions that the center position in the 90s were the key, you know, was the, uh, yeah, the key position in the NBA at that time. Well, nowadays, it's all about the small forward position. You got to have a, a legit all-star type small forward position to win a championship. It's been like that for the last 10 years. Whether you look at Kawhi Leonard, whether you look at uh, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, uh, you know, and even Harrison Barnes, believe it or not, and that 2015 NBA Finals played well, but it was really uh, Andre Iguodala as well. So both of those guys at the small forward position for Golden State were key components. And if you look at, you know, what I just mentioned, that's the that's basically the entire decade. Mm. So, you know, of, of the small forward position leading everything because of the, uh, you know, the way the game is played now, and the freedom of movement, the small forwards can play point guard and they're able to control the game. So that's just, you know, how the game is going now. But, uh, you know, the rest of the series went the way, you know, that we thought it would. But 
let's give some credit to some of the teams that put up a, a better fight than we thought. Mm-hmm. The New Orleans Pelicans put up a better fight than we all thought. Yes, they and, did. Yeah, and they deserve to make the playoffs. That's what they showed. And, and, and they have a very, very bright future, especially now the fact the Lakers did not make the playoffs. I know we don't want to mention that team, but because they didn't make the playoffs, uh, the Pelicans will have their pick. So they're going to be able to get even better. And as long as Zion can somehow get on the court, uh, they'll be, you know, they, they can be a legit team. In fact, they could be where the Memphis Grizzlies are right now if they add Zion Williamson to their team, an up-and-coming team that has a chance to win a championship. So you said that because of the way the Pelicans finished, the Lakers cannot get their pick. Can you explain that a little bit more? Well, the Lakers traded all their picks to get Anthony Davis. So oh, if, that's right. mm-hmm. if, it, if the pick was outside the lottery, it would have gone to Memphis. And if the okay. pick was inside the lottery, it would go to New Orleans, the Lakers pick. For this year. I got and you. Because the Lakers did not even make the playing tournament, it's obviously going to be a top, you know, probably around a top seven, top eight pick. So, yeah. so that means the Pelicans will most likely get it. As long as it stays in the top ten, I believe, the Pelicans mm-hmm. will get the pick. And okay. we all think that's going to happen. So the Pelicans are going to get another lottery pick from the Lakers. Wow. Okay. That's very good. <laughs> right. So so they have a chance to become a really, really special team, even more special than they are now, because that trade against C.J. McCollum was a huge, huge pickup for them. And Brandon Ingram had developed so much as a player. So it, it was definitely exciting to see them play. And, uh, you know, I'm going to pick on another team. And I think this team, you know, for some reason, you you know, you always like this player. But <laughs> this will be hopefully the last time we'll mention his name, hopefully. <laughs> but Rudy Gobert will be traded, I believe, because he's the reason why they lost this series. Because Jason Kidd did a great job of playing five out and forcing Rudy Gobert to – basically play out on wings or just decide to just, you know, let the guys catch and shoot, and they've nailed it every time. So Rudy Gobert, fortunately, will probably have to be moved to another team because that Utah Jazz team has to be split up. Mike Conley has not lived up to expectations, and the Memphis Grizzlies made a great move by trading him and replacing him with John Morant. That was a great decision by them. You know, Utah has to make some moves. So You know, Gary, I, I think that, you're absolutely right but Utah, the Jazz, because, yeah, we could say that the Nets were a big disappointment, but I, I think that a bigger disappointment, no, losing four straight, that's, no, no, there's no question, that's a major disappointment. But I, I think that you touched upon another key point, and that is the Utah Jazz, because for them to be bounced out in the first round, that was, I can't think of the last time they were bounced out in the first round. Number one, they didn't even finish in the top four this year. And number two, they um, got bounced out in the first round. So I think that they were one of the most disappointing uh, teams in that first round of the playoffs. Nothing can surpass the Nets. So, you know, obviously losing four straight, that was probably the worst showing of any any playoff team this season. But Utah, has had, I agree with you, they put themselves in a position where they have to have that team uh, somewhat um, – they imploded already. They've already imploded, but now they have to just kind of take them out of their misery because it's it's not – it's just not working. And it's sad to say that when a team finishes 49 and 33 in the regular season, but they've always finished 49 and 33. You know, they've been always, you know, a team that even when they had their so-called better years, they uh, never went beyond the first, you know, never got it, got to the Western Conference Championship, at least not in quite some time. So I agree with you. I think the Jazz have a problem. They, they just underperformed. And uh, Rudy Gobert, who I do like, I think that his uh, – individual talents as a rebounder and, and a rim protector would be outstanding. 
But uh, whether he doesn't get along with Mitchell or what, I'm not sure what the problems are there, Gary. You, you're you're right. I think that the coach of the Mavs, uh, you know, tr- truly exposed that weakness within the, the uh, Jazz team, that being uh, Rudy's inability to come out and guard people around the perimeter. And thus, they're, they're, they're still playing the Mavs. And that's one weakness. The other weakness is the fact that Utah did not have very good wing defenders. So, you know, Utah's team was basically built as, okay, if you get by Bodanovich or Conley or Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert is going to be there to clean up the mess. Well, what happens if Rudy Gobert is guarding, you know, Jalen Brunson in the corner? Yeah. yeah. You know, he well, he can't clean up the mess as you just got beat uh, to the basket, you know, like it was nothing. And you made guys that we don't even know their names or, you know, they're just average players score 20 points a game. I mean, Jalen Brunson averaged about 26, 27 points a game in the series because they couldn't guard anybody. Yeah. And and they got to, you know, that's something, something that, that they have to fix. And Luka it barely played in the series. Yeah. So that's, that's that, true. to me, but honestly, though, that's not the biggest disappointment to me. Mm-hmm. Because we were able to see Utah decline. Remember, Utah was the number one seed last year. Oh, that's right. Good so, point. Good point. So it wasn't. It wasn't that. The big disappointment to me was the Minnesota Timberwolves because they were the they were more talented than the Memphis Grizzlies, and they choked away multiple twenty point leads in their yeah. games. Yeah. Multiple, and they continuously did it to the point where I would just fire the coach. I know they're not <laughs> going to do that because they just gave him a contract extension. You know, probably about a month before the season ended. But I would fire because yeah. you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Gary. I think that uh, – not sure if I would fire him, but I think that the bottom line of it is I think they were so happy to be there. <laughs> you know, they were just so happy to be playing in the postseason that they uh, they already celebrated and popped their champagne bottles just getting into the playoffs. And I, that's unfortunate, but I think that next next time around, I think they'll be a lot tougher. But I, I agree. There were times in, the, in, in their games, Gary, where – you know, the coach wouldn't call a timeout, and they would they would be getting beat like twenty one to three, and it was just you know it was like this for fifteen to one, eighteen to one, twenty one to three. You know, it's like and, they, and, they, and the, the points would just and the spread would just get wider and wider, and they'd never call a timeout. It'd be a total total collapse of the team. In fact, one of the commentators said that his son was saying, "Dad." They should call a timeout. <laughs> so it was that bad that people from their living rooms who were under the age of 15 were able to tell that the coach was up back big time. And uh, so I agree that that was a, a rough thing to see because they did have a talented team. I don't think they're I don't think they're better than Memphis this year, but I think that they have they have the pieces to be better than Memphis next year. I I, I do believe they have a lot of great pieces on that team. It's just that. Um, you know, they celebrated when they beat the Clippers, the playing game. You, know, you thought they won the, you know, the, the NCAA tournament. You know, they were, <laughs> they were like taking off their shirts, jumping up and down. You know, so I, I just think they were happy to get there this year. Next year, hopefully, they'll realize that making the playoffs does not mean all that much unless you, um, you know, really play well in the playoffs and go deep in the playoffs and or win the whole thing. That should be the ultimate goal. But for a team that hadn't been in the playoffs in quite some time, you know, one step at a time. So I wouldn't fire him yet, but I definitely would put him on notice, <laughs> the coach. <laughs> look, I'm telling you right now, he should be fired because if you look at the roster, Minnesota can honestly have three all-stars on their team at one time. You can't say that about Memphis. And when you have no, your, your a, a game, when you're up by 20 points in a game, 
and you blow it, the coach should be fired because you're not going to fire, you know, you're not going to trade the players. So that means you're going to have to fire the coach. And it's not just him that should be fired. I've already mentioned Steve, uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Steve Nash should be fired, but they will not fire him, most likely. But, you know, there are certain teams that they have to make adjustments before they're able to play in the second round. And, and not just adjustments, big adjustments. I know we didn't mention the Chicago Bulls, but they had a health issue. So that's why. Yeah, know, yeah. Really yeah, they did. Them. yeah. And Toronto didn't belong there anyway. So, you know, <laughs> the other teams you know, that were there, it's like, okay, you know, whatever. And Denver had a bunch of injuries as well. So, yeah, yeah. If you so count those things, them, yeah. Yeah, none of those things, it, you know, is that surprising to me. Yeah. But, you know, it was, it was a very good and exciting first round, uh, you know, for most of the games as long as the NBA stay out of the way. Well, let's talk yeah, about that. Let's, let's, let's talk about getting the game out of the way, Gary, because now I know I'm jumping ahead here, but let's not jump too far ahead because I want to say something about the refs in the first round. Just okay, go ahead, go ahead. This will leak into the second round a little bit, and really, you know, I'll be talking about the Boston Celtics. I don't know how they're getting away with what they're getting away with, but they are playing 1990s basketball on everybody. I don't know how they're getting away with it. You know, they were doing that to Kevin Durant every single game. They were hitting him every single game. And they were having, you know, the mantra of basically the refs won't call every foul. And the refs didn't call every foul. And it caused Brooklyn major problems because that's not how Brooklyn built their team. And Boston was literally hitting Kevin Durant every single play. And I had a major problem with how the announcers were making Kevin Durant look. And sadly, you know, even Charles Barkley saying that Kevin Durant's not a bus driver. Those comments to me, you know, are just a little extreme. He had a bad series. But I also believe that the Boston Celtics picked on his weakness, which is something that LeBron James was able to do in Miami, which just beat him up. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, not just him, also Kyrie Irving historically has struggled against teams if you just beat him up. When he played against the uh, Milwaukee Bucks when he was with Boston, go look at those numbers. They are terrible. And that actually caused them to actually lose that series because he was that bad. Mm-hmm. And they did the same thing in this series. So going into the Milwaukee Bucks series, and this is where I transition to you as well, the Milwaukee Bucks are doing the same thing to Giannis. They're hitting Giannis. Every single play, they're hitting Giannis. But what Giannis is able to do is he's able to, you know, they're letting the refs are letting him bully them back because he's the face of the league. And they need Giannis to go as far as they can, just that like they need Luka to go as far as they can, as he can. And I think it's really bad that the NBA is starting to do this. They're doing the same thing with Steph Curry as well. You know, we saw the Dylan Brooks play. That happened to Gary, Gary Payton in a second, and I hope he recovers as quickly as possible uh, from his uh, broken uh, elbow, fractured elbow. But Dylan Brooks should not have been suspended for game three. That's not a suspension. That's a, you know, throw him out of the game, and then he comes back for game three. But when you do that, you allow the guy that will be guarding Steph Curry to not guard Steph Curry, and Steph Curry has a big night. So it's just it's, it, it's small things like that that bothers me that the NBA is doing. And hope that, you know, it doesn't continue. I want to see the games for what it is, not because they want certain games to go a certain way. Uh, but I'll let you get into it. I know there was other issues you had with the uh, officiating and, and the refs as well. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, Gary, and, and I do concur with what you, you're, you're saying about the Kevin Durant and the way that, that he was getting um, dealt with by, by the opposition. No argument there, but the problem that I have with the officiating in the NBA is that there are too many actors on the court. And right now, uh, it's like a, uh, an old-fashioned single-L high school basketball game because the bottom line of it is 
you can't drive down the middle unless obviously they let they let Giannis do it and they let they, and pass obviously LeBron. But I am seeing so many flops. Anytime you get in the middle and try to do something or go to bat, they fall. <laughs> I mean, everybody just falls. I mean, there was a game on this recently where Dallas played the Suns, and I think Chris Paul had four fouls on him in the first half. I mean, you just look at somebody and they 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 fall down. In fact, one time the guy fell out. And he walked by the guy afterwards. You can see him smiling at the other at the guy who who got called for the charge, like saying, "Hey, I got you." And I, I'm almost tempted. I'm almost tempted, especially in this Dallas series. I'm not sure how far the Dallas and the Dallas and the Suns will go as far as how many games. But the bottom line of it is, I'm almost tempted to take score of how many times a basketball player's butt hits the floor. And I bet you it's going to be at record levels. I mean, they they. I've never seen someone dust the floor so much in a basketball game than I have in the recent Suns Maverick game. They're on the floor every single second. And these guys are 6'4, 6'8, weighing 250, 280 pounds. There's no way they're falling that easily. I mean, if they were playing in the NFL, they wouldn't last a day if they fell that easily. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And the games are being held up. Games are going on for like three hours. Why? Because they're spending so much time at the free throw line because everybody falls. And when someone is a superstar, you know, I'm talking about Luca now, if if the ball doesn't go in, there are, you know, if the ball doesn't hit the rim or something, the whistle's being blown. There's no question about it. Because they just figure someone hit somebody, I just missed it. That's that's the referee's opinion about it. And if they get in the middle, if you're a star, you get in the middle, you fall in the paint, you fall, you're getting that whistle blown. It's it's just absolutely ridiculous. I don't think they can go up and down the court more than four times without a whistle being called. And I'm looking at I'm looking at one of the games as we're speaking right now, and they have not gone up and down the court four times in which a whistle has not been blown. And 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 I already just since I started this conversation, four players have ended up on the floor during this game. Four, four players, and I've already been talking about this for like what a minute, two minutes. Four players, and how many times they've been to free throw line? Three times. It's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So someone, Mr. Commissioner, has to sit the players down and saying that the fans are not looking to, looking at these games to see you guys fall on the floor. That's not the whole point of basketball. Point of football, yeah, you want people to fall on their butt. You want people to get on the ground. That's not what we're looking for. And we're not looking for the game to be stopped every 20 seconds, every 10 seconds, because, oh, two more guys are on the floor. <laughs> Absolutely. And guess what they're going to call? Another charge. And this is the charge where someone got the rebound and threw the ball out. And so the guy who was standing underneath the basket or standing at foul line decided to stand there, and someone ran into him, and he, the guy fell down like he's was was crushed by a by a bulldozer. I mean, absolutely ridiculous what we're seeing on TV now. And 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 NBA has to watch watch for that because it's it's just not fun when you know these guys are acting. You know that they're 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 putting out performances. They're throwing their arms up in the air. They're acting like they like they were the worst thing that ever happened to them in their lives. And and then they get back up and they're fine. You know, so it's just absolutely ridiculous. And I know I went on a little tirade about that, Gary, but. I'm well, saying that as I'm looking at the game, and, I, and every time I'm as I continue on, it, thank God we have a commercial now. It just seems to get worse, and I, I don't, I just don't get it. Well, why? I get it, but still, just play the game. 
and let the referees keep the whistle where they don't have to blow it all the time and just go up and down the court and play the game. And maybe if you run a play every once in a while, that'd be nice too. But I'm not going to get into that. If you want to take threes all day, that's fine. But the bottom line of it is don't stop the game every two seconds for people putting on a, an Oscar or Emmy, Emmy Award-winning performance on the court. We don't want to see it. We don't want to see players butt on the floor all the time. Erased. And what your name is Julius Irving. The rest of it is completely erased from well, the history of basketball. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you shed some light on it. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely wrong, Gary, just because they, they, they weren't there to, to see it. You know, uh, it's, it's amazing, Gary, how these guys, these sports writers, uh, you know, and obviously they live off of basketball and, and football. It's, it's amazing how and you look at Babe Ruth and some of the players who play baseball, now you don't hear about them that much now, but back in back when I was even in the eighties, you know they would compare Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Joe DiMaggio. No matter who came up after that, oh Willie Mays, not as good as, not as good as, not as good as. You know, so I was like, hey Gary, he's not as good as, not as good. And, and they went back forty years and said and, and compared that era of baseball with the the sixties and seventies. When back in those days, Gary, if the ball bounced into the stands, it was a home run. You didn't even have to hit the ball into the stands. If it bounced in, home run. Today, that's a double. It's a ground rule double. But back then, it was a home run. And in Yankee Stadium, they made that the the defense. The, the defense came up to your waist. I mean, that's how low it was. Anything could bounce over into the stands. So. They didn't want to talk about that. They didn't want to talk about all the cheap home runs that a lot of these so-called unbelievable players had versus the fact that in the in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the walls were eight feet tall, and you had to hit the ball over the walls. Even if it bounced over, it didn't count. So I, I think that they they do that for for basketball, but they don't they don't do it for baseball. They, they oh yeah, it's fine. No, but it's, it it shouldn't be fine when the errors. It was easier back then. Just like now, when you look at scoring, you get three points for 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 a shot that, that that Jerry West used to take on a routine basis. You know, he didn't get three points for that. I would have, you know, I don't know how many three pointers I would have had, quite frankly. But you know, they don't count that. Well, you know, so they don't think about it like that. So I think that they have to recognize just recognize the greatness of the players during their era and, and not try to dismiss players who played before they were around to see them play or dismiss players who, who played in the era when, when the rules were a little, little different um, because that doesn't make them any less, less great. And I, I, that's why I really applaud Gary, the fact that when they did the, the 75, 75th anniversary team, they did not start to kick off the people who made the 50th anniversary team they kept all of them and i think that was a noble thing to do because it's hard to compare those apples with with, with, with oranges compared to periods to two different periods of time that's why we're we're breaking it up we're breaking it up we're going 60s and 90s and then we're going to go 90s to the present because it's it becomes rather difficult especially if you don't want to honor the stats that people have and and we're not going to i don't, don't want to get into um any of the players right now, but some players have stats that nobody has ever hit, and yet they don't want to give them that those players their due recognition because they played in the '60s or played in the '70s. Well, basketball is still around. The ball, the the hoop's still ten feet tall, and this guy 
scored X number of points during that during the 60s with the basket being the same height, with the ball being the same size, and ain't no one else done that before. That's all I'm saying. I'm not going to talk about names right now, but they should not be speaking about those individuals in a negative way. And the other thing they should realize, Gary, is the fact that when I when I graduated from college and, and, and had the trial with the New Orleans Jazz, there were probably 16 NBA teams, maybe maybe 18. They're like 30-something now. So it's, it's much easier. You're playing against guys who are not all that good, but they're on the team, yeah, because, because you got to get 12 players or whatever. But if you're doubling the size of something in the in the in the year 2020, then when it, then what it was in the 60s, it's obviously diluted talent. That's obvious. That's pretty obvious. Pretty obvious. A player, you know, if there's only X number of players in the NBA during the 60s and 70s, and there's twice as many players in the NBA in the 1920s, that should that should tell you something about the quality of of the of the players in the whole. But they don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about that. But I'm not saying that that should be a factor because bottom line of it is the players have all gotten a whole lot better from the 60s to the year 2020. Why? Because there's a lot more money involved in being a professional basketball player now than there was back in the 60s and 70s. Jerry West would be the first to tell you that. Oscar Robinson would be the second. I mean, there's a bunch of players who played in the 60s who did not come close to earning the, the, the kind of money that the players are earning today. Kyrie Irving playing for one month would make the salary of Jerry West and Oscar Robertson and Bill Russell combined. Okay, maybe I can go even further. And so the, the, the whole mentality has changed, which would make people who are playing AAU basketball today thirsty for that opportunity to get to high school and average a zillion points so they can go right into the NBA. And their moms, believe me, are pushing that as well as daddy. So it, it is a totally different era. And there's a, the, the quality of, of players today, I'm not saying that they're, they're not as good as the ones in the 60s. I'm saying that they're probably better because of their athleticism and because of the intense nature of the sport today as far as uh, making a big salary. But keep in mind that the players who have played during the 60s and 70s played in a, in a smaller league which made the made the competition to me a lot tougher because it, it had to be that way. There weren't that many teams in the league. You played each other four or five times. You know, now the NBA now you play you play someone from the West Coast if you're an East Coast team twice. Once at your place, once at their place. That's it. No, it wasn't like that before. And so, uh, so much for that little. <laughs> I guess I strayed from our point, Gary. <laughs> oh no, I think you did a. Uh a very good job explaining it. But just for one quick nugget here, um, they do kind of do that now in the NBA by comparing everything to the Jordan era, which is now about 30 years old. So, you know, 30 to 35 years old now. So they're kind of actually doing, they're starting to do the same thing they did with baseball. But what, what happened with baseball, you know, and not to get completely off topic, but when the steroid era hit, that's when they stopped comparing numbers. Mm. Um, um, I'm in baseball, but in the NBA, you know, for a lot of these um, journalists, it started with with Magic and Bird, and Michael was the pinnacle, and then everybody else follows that. So, you know, you know, they also are starting to do the same thing now, but also due to the NBA issues they they had during the '70s, um, it's not an era that's talked about, and and hopefully we will continue to do that 
we go through our top five list of more players from that time period, you know, shed some light on them. Yep. Okay. Um, and then my last rookie of the year, Gary, would be a person who I enjoyed seeing play, but he, I'm going to say that, yes, he is one of the top 50, 50th anniversary players and top 75th anniversary players. He is, but his teammates were, were also, he had two teammates who probably, I think were also part of those two teams. So it's not like he was carrying the team. He was part of great teams. And so, and there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, there, there's another in the center who was part of a team that had some great players on it as well, which we'll mention later. And, and but he was just such a gentleman and he was such a um, unselfish player. And, and that is Bob Parrish. Uh, Bob Parrish played for the Celtics. He uh, played on four NBA championship teams. Now, one of them did dip into the 90s, but the first one that he won was in 81, the second one in 84, the next one was 86. So most of his career was in the, what well, most of his career was in the, the 90s. I mean, the 80s. It was a Can I interrupt you just for a second? Yeah. Um, I think for most of the listeners, they know him as Robert Parrish. Okay, Robert Perry. Okay, well, that's interesting. Right. Well, I know right. him as Bob Perry, so it's about right. but we can, <laughs> we can call him either. Uh, we also call him the Chief, and hopefully that's not yes. a derogatory term anymore. But um, he uh, just a great player, Gary, and such a likable guy. I mean, he did he have big numbers? No, he was like fourteen points a game, fourteen point five points a game. Got nine point one rebounds a game. I'm just like, okay, well, wait a minute, guys, seven feet one, nine rebounds. Well, the team was great. He had he had other very good players around him who were also very capable of getting rebounds, and they did. They were uh, uh, just a solid team that 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 Celtic team during during that period of time. And I'll throw out you know a couple of names. Yeah, Kevin McHale, Larry Bird. I mean, needless, those are just some great players that were on that on that team. But he followed, he followed Dave Collins, who I mentioned earlier. And, and when Dave Collins left, he 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 um, came over. He played a little bit with the. Uh, he was drafted by the Golden State Warriors, but uh, just, a, just a great player. But the numbers will not cause you to go, "Ooh, wow!" Oh. No, in college, even his numbers were, you know, he averaged about twenty-one point six points a game, got sixteen point nine rebounds a game. Um, you know, it was they were good. They were good numbers, but nothing that would cause you to say, hey, this guy is gonna be walking on water, this guy'd be one of the top seventy-five some one of the top seventy-five players of all time. No. But he did extremely well as an NBA player. And I, and I think that if someone had the vote for the most vote for the the one of the best gentlemen on the court and off the court. It would be Robert Parrish, and he was kind of quiet guy, but nice guy. Played for a number of teams. I mentioned Golden State Warriors. He played for the Celtics, obviously, as I mentioned before, from 1980 to 1980, 1994. Then he had a short stint with the Hornets and even the Bulls, and so he left basketball in 1997. But he started in 1976, so that's why I'm putting him in this group, Gary. Once again, four times NBA champion, nine times he was an All Star, two times second team. Uh, all NBA, and he was also uh, no, I'm sorry, one time All NBA second team, one one time All NBA third team. 
And in college, he was an All-American as expected. So the Chief, he deserves to, to be right up there, but I don't have him in my top five of all time, in the, in the top from 1960 to 1990. But he is at the top of my honorable mention category. Now, I'm leaving out players, Gary, like Dolph Shades and George Mike. They, I never I didn't even see them. And I know I just said that just because you didn't see somebody, you shouldn't be not. No, but he, they were in the 50s for the most part. Right, um, right. So we're not yes. going to the 50s, folks. We're going from the 1960s until 1960 until 1990. And so I believe we covered, you know, the, the, the best of the, of, of the group as far as honorable mention. And the top five, Gary, when we get into that, it's going to knock people's shoes off because, you know, I, I strongly believe this top five could be the top five would, would challenge the top five of all time quite frankly they're that good and so um you could say well now we don't have a center position yeah you're right we've gone through a period of time where they kind of say we don't really uh, have a center or a position we have people just play around yeah so things have changed even from that perspective but the top five in 1960-1990, those five guys, especially four of those five guys, are going to knock your shoes off. Now, I'm well, going to put two guys. Well, can I? Oh, okay, go ahead. Let me say something of real quick just to talk about Robert Parrish because you missed his biggest accomplishment okay. in his career, and that's the fact that he's played the most games in NBA history. Wow. With 1,611 games. Wow, so he's played more that. games than anybody else in NBA history, and that doesn't include the playoff games that he played in. And as you mentioned, you know he played a lot of games with the Boston Celtics, so that means he has you know way more way more games than that. Wow, I didn't realize that guy. I did not realize that. No, he was he was just a great guy. I mean, he's just just yeah. If you had the great the, the great guys of basketball team, he would be he would be in the front row. He was that type of guy, and I, I'm sure he was that kind of t- teammate as well. Um, so, yeah, I, didn't, I missed that one. And uh, I tell you, he was a, a player that, I guess, unsung hero will come to mind. He was definitely one of those kind of guys. So we're out of time for today. Don't forget to subscribe.